NPR Mageddon is made possible by a grant from Cannibals for Better Marriages. Have you and your spouse grown apart? Have you considered eating them? Studies have shown that nothing brings couples closer together than when one physically eats and eats and eats the other. Cannibals for Better Marriages. Something to chew on. You're listening to NPR Mageddon, National Post-Apocalyptic Radio. Breaking news into little tiny pieces. From NPR Mageddon in Los Angeles, I am Brian Garcia McMillan Keithley. If you've been wondering what those very loud, very incessant bells have been all about, the Bloodites have finally chosen a new blood pope. The bells have been tolling on the SS Basilica aircraft carrier off the coast of Los Angeles since way too early this morning. For more, we go to NPR Mageddon's cub reporter Amy Wolpa, who is live on the scene. Amy, can you hear me? I can, Brian. Great. What can you tell me about the deep, scary-sounding bells? Well, those deep, scary-sounding bells are loud enough to wake the dead, but today, they're doing half the opposite of that. They're waking the living. You don't say. I do. And I did. In fact, it looks like select blood-eyed devotees are being summoned to a chamber referred to as Mess Hall for what we assume will be the inauguration of a new blood pope. I'm outside the hall now. Wow, fascinating. The atmosphere there must be electric. Yep, electric. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, and? And what? And where's the rest of the story? Oh, the story's in the mess hall, Brian, and it's not open yet. Can't get to the blood pope. Well, talk to some people. Uh, Get the buzz. This is our lead story. Oh, okay. There's a bunch of bloodites milling around. I'll grab a couple of them. Hey, you. Ooh. What do you think about all this? The blood god is most pleased. May the blood flow forevermore. Good, good. Okay. Hey, you, other person. How about this? What's going on? Pretty exciting, yeah? The blood will flow freely, outsider. And finally, the world will know of the blood god. Yep, the last guy said something similar. So there you go, Brian. Anticipation is, in a word, occurring. Thanks, Amy. Good news! The average quality of life in Los Angeles has increased for the 10th straight year in a row. Unfortunately, this is due to the overall quantity of life decreasing. Yes, lifespans are down, but try not to let this ruin your day. Because whether you see your life as a glass half empty or a glass half full, the glass is definitely smaller than it used to be. And that's a good thing. Thank you. Protesters have given President Skogor until tomorrow to address grievances relating to government spying, food shortages, and demands for democratic elections. The president has yet to address these demands, but news of a possible coup is actually being welcomed by many Los Angelinos. NPR Mageddon's Erica Ishii looks at why the protesters are taking such a terrifying stance. When President Skolgor seized power by decapitating his opposition earlier this year, many hoped his hands-on approach to problem-solving would lead us into a new era of prosperity. But some feel that the president has failed to live up to expectations, and they're pissed off. Yes, I'm angry! 
He's done nothing for the underprivileged. He ain't done shit for our infrastructure. And we still don't know how big his dick is. I mean, with all the nonsense, are we ever gonna find out how big that dick is, huh? It's time to make our politicians accountable and measure they dicks. Many protesters credit their boldness to the terrorist Hart Fisher and his gratuitous use of a space-based death laser. We spoke to Congressman Butch Blood about the current balance of power. The government isn't here to serve the people. The people are here to serve the government. And if they don't like it, they should run for office. But that is the problem, isn't it, Congressman? Ever since President Skullgore seized power, he has put a stop to democratic elections and installed a puppet government to do his bidding. Puppets are made out of wood. I, sir, am a flesh-and-blood congressman. I didn't mean that you were a literal puppet. I meant it figuratively. I don't follow. To say that you're the president's puppet is a metaphor, a figure of speech which refers to one thing by mentioning another. In this case, it means you do whatever the president tells you to do. Is that so? But no, I didn't use a simile, which is a type of metaphor that uses like or as. For example, if I were to say, the president uses you like a puppet, that would be a simile. Doesn't pack the same punch, does it? But plainly saying you are the president's puppet, that's a metaphor. And it's strong. Well, why don't you go fuck yourself? How's that for a metaphor? Unfortunately, my interview with the congressman was cut short when he was disintegrated by the death laser. And for the record, go fuck yourself isn't a metaphor. It's an idiom. Dumbass. Erica Ishii, NPR McGinnon. Like sands through the hourglass, so history rests like lotion in a bottle. Historian Andrew Bowser is ready to spread his lotion all over our understanding in a segment we call Brand New History. The 1980s. God, what a bloodbath. A strange race of man-animal hybrids known only as the Muppets had died of disease and famine in the 1970s. But a new generation, the Muppet Babies, rose to shake the old world order to its very foundation. Snorks, Smurfs, Popples, all of these stupid-sounding fringe agitators were eradicated under a clandestine operation known only as the Secret of Nim. Oh. Hideous experiments were conducted, with disfigured outcasts driven into hiding, surviving as the so-called Inhumanoids. It looked like the end, but a funny thing happened on the way to world domination. One among the Muppet babies, Fozzie Bear, grew a conscience. He formed two counter-revolutionary splinter groups, the Care Bears and the Gummy Bears, both doomed to absolute failure. I could talk about bears alone for three hours. The Care Bears' dreamy idealism was crushed by a monstrous, unfeeling bear sociopath by the name of Corduroy, while the Gummy Bears sadly succumbed to rampant drug abuse after a cokehead named Super Ted came to town. And where was Teddy Ruxpin during all this? Head in the sand, off in his fantasy land. It was pathetic. Now, after the failed bear insurrection and the brutal public executions of both Danger Mouse and Denver the Last Dinosaur, a breaking point was reached among the animals. A great, nonviolent leader would rise up to preach wisdom and tolerance. I speak of David the Gnome. Small in stature was he, but mighty also he was. Ralph, Skeeter, and even the much-hated baby bean Bunny 
all were swayed to abandon the Muppet cause. But Nanny, the leader of the babies, would not be denied. She established a female coalition of thugs, toughs, and fascists, including Rainbow Bright, Strawberry Shortcake, and the true turncoat, Jem. Mild-mannered moderate by day, angel of death by night. Gosh, well, that's a lot to absorb. Thanks, Bowser. We'll have to leave it there. No, I haven't even gotten to the best part. Nanny's lieutenant, Shira, rode my little pony into battle against David the Gnome. Just a simple man of nature, they thought. Wrong. He unleashed technological hell on Earth. Wait, I thought you said he was nonviolent. A shadowy organization called Mask drove mechanized vehicles into the battlefield, and armored giant Voltron himself joined the fray. Alvin and the Chipmunks joined Shira, but ate absolute shit in less than an hour. Shira was on the ropes, but you know who showed up? Who? The goddamned Thundercats showed up. That's who. David the Gnome was flanked, surrounded. Not gonna talk your way out of this one, are you, you smug son of a bitch? Conventional authorities like the cops fighting crime in a future time, and even Inspector Gadget couldn't restore order. And David the Gnome was summarily impaled on Lionel's sword. Battle over. Time to go, right? Right? R- right? Wrong. The garbage pail kids emerged from the filth and viscera, along with the teenage mutant ninja turtles. The real Ghostbusters had already been killed in a botched rescue mission by the rescue rangers. Who was left to save the day from four wisecracking brothers with an axe to grind? I I don't know. And the record is spotty after that point. Sorry, that's all I got. Man, history. It's like a pinwheel. Pinwheel spinning around. Uh, don't you mean that history is a harsh mistress? Oh, yeah, yeah, that too. She's a harsh mistress spinning around. You're listening to NPRmageddon, National Post-Apocalyptic Radio, where news is not just a four-letter word, like fuck is. The death of the blood pope has created a power vacuum, and as we all know, vacuums suck. The threat of sectarian violence looms large. To let us know if things will blow over or if we should be making a run on brown pants, we've invited Spooky Dan to join us. Spooky Dan is challenging traditional orthodoxy with claims that he is the living embodiment of the blood god. Thanks for coming. Hey, thanks so much for having me here. Now, is Spooky Dan the name you prefer? Yeah, Spooky or Spooky Dan or Prince of Pain or Archfiend of Agony. Any of these would be awesome. All right, then. And just for the benefit of the listening audience, I think it's important to note Spooky's distinctive clothing. Do you mind describing your outfit? Sure. Well, first we have a maroon chemise under a cherry smock with a carmine ramshorn hood for extra punch and a cardinal ribbed and tufted cloak complementing a garnet skull with crossbones cowl. While moving south, we have vermilion fabric belts, crimson breeches, oxblood leather boots, and of course plenty of frills, daggings, and assorted ruby jewelry all custom. You're very, very red. Well, yeah, that's the color of blood. And what's that symbol on your codpiece? It's a goat. On top of another goat. Eating another goat. Any significance? It just looks cool. Okay, uh, let's get to the heart of the matter now. Uh, Who is the blood god? Oh, boy. That is a tough question. Ask me the next one, we'll circle back. Circle back? Okay, Actually, I won't be able to answer much about the blood god at all, really. I Can I level with you? Uh, sure. So, you could say my whole living embodiment situation is more of an inspired by type of thing, versus any actual or useful knowledge. Wait, you can't explain who the blood god is? That's like the most basic question. Dude, I'm a cosplayer. 
I was thinking about the Blood God, and I was all like, wouldn't I look awesome wearing red? And I threw together this little ensemble. Can you tell us anything of value? Oh, yeah, I could show you how to sew seams and velvet using temporary spray adhesive. It's super easy. You just... Are you okay? Your skin looks about as red as your outfit. Whoa! I am reborn in the blood of the sacrifice. A miniature person has erupted from the head of Spooky Dan, and he's holding a tape deck style cassette player? Bow to the blood gold or perish. Spooky Dan's broken body still quivering and upright, his eyes staring out, screaming for help. The creature's rictus grin and scabrous skin stands in sharp contrast to the cacophonous din emanating from his tape deck style cassette player. And what am I covered in? Say it. He's covered in bits of brain. They're like little macaroni pieces. Yeah, and what else? Blood. Blood! Yes, it is I, Harold, the real living embodiment of the blood god. Bow or perish? I'm bowing, I'm bowing. <laughs> Why have you chosen to reveal yourself in this manner, demon? Because I just love to make an entrance. <laughs> Bower Parish. Can you tell us why you're doing this? What do you hope to achieve? Harold, the living embodiment, does not impart the Blood God's unending wisdom for free. Where is the payment you are to give this fool? We, uh, we don't pay people to appear on the show. Are you serious? Yeah, I mean, they get the airtime to plug their stuff, so it's worth it for them. Wow. Just wow. I waited six weeks in this guy's tiny little skull. And you're telling me you don't pay, Bower Parish? That's what you're telling me? That's what I'm telling you. Listen, I really only do paid appearances. It's been a pleasure. Well, it seems like as the living embodiment of the blood god, you'd relish this opportunity to spread his demonic gospel. Well, it seems like to me, no money, no talkie. So this is just a naked cash grab. Whoa, 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 whoa. What are you insinuating? I think you know full well what I'm insinuating. Are you even an agent of the blood god at all? Dude, what do you want from me? I just violently burst forth from a guy's head. I'm still waiting for an answer. Of course I'm an agent of the blood god. Is that so? Well, I did a little research for this segment. What are the three elements of the blood god's unholy trinity, huh? Blood. Yeah. Rock music. Okay. And, and fuck you! Hey, hey, get back here! Oh shit, he's in the ventilation system. <laughs> Great. Now we have some fake-ass blood god demon parasite loose in the building. <sighs> this I did not need. I did not need this. Oh, he did leave his tape deck style cassette player. And so, listeners, we are left with many more questions than answers. As for me, I am left forever haunted by the frightful visage indelibly etched into my corneas, burned into my mind, and eroticized in my subconscious and out through my pee hole by this unmentionable, tenebrous, stygian... <coughs> well, you get it. It's spooky. Spooky. 
ready for the newest, hottest, most crave-worthy status symbol? Then let me introduce you to your new best friend, the Torso Friend. NPR Mageddon's Katie Miriam has more on this truly transformative product that promises to change the very nature of friendship. People are lined up 10 city blocks trying to get a hold of a Torso Friend. We asked inventor of the Torso Friend, Frank Smith, how he came up with this season's must-have item. I've always had trouble keeping friends. No matter what I did, they would eventually leave. So I asked myself, why? Why do they always leave me? And then it hit me. All of my friends had limbs. Arms to push me away and legs to carry them elsewhere? Well, I said to heck with that. So whenever I made a new friend, I removed their limbs. It felt so good to be needed. And I knew that I could help others achieve their friendship goals. And where did you come up with the name Torso Friend? It's so perfect. When you remove the arms and legs from someone, you're left basically with a torso. So I thought, here's my friend, who is now just a torso. Torso friend. It was just that easy. And where do you get volunteers to be turned into torso friends? What do you mean? The, the people that you turn into torso friends have to come from somewhere, right? We get most of our chattel from the lower classes. They're not so much volunteers, more like, um... Uh, necessary raw material that wasn't doing society any good in the first place. The way I see it, these torso friends are finally living up to their full potential. It's playthings to the wealthy and powerful. And people are okay with this? I find that people are perfectly happy ignoring the suffering of others. When it comes to enjoying fantastic consumer products at rock bottom prices. That is horrible. Try telling that to the people waiting in line. (laughs) You silly. And people have been lining up for weeks outside of Frank Smith's Torso Friend flagship store in anticipation for the release. And can you tell me how long you've been waiting here? Two weeks. Why? I'm an early adopter. I like getting what I want, and I really like it if other people want what I have and can't get it. Is that the only appeal? Oh, no. I'm a big fan of Frank Smith. I think he's revolutionized friendship for our times. So what's the first thing you're going to do with your new torso friend? Well, I'll need to get a case for it so it doesn't get scratched up. But after that, I plan on doing a lot of fucking. But what about the torso friends themselves? What do they think about their newfound popularity? Me prometieron comida, pero no tenían comida. En vez, me cortaron los brazos y piernas y me alimentaron con ellas. Ahora, solo mi hambre está igualada por mi impotencia. It's like the old saying goes. A friend in need is a friend indeed. And when a friend doesn't have any arms or legs, even better. But I can't shake the feeling that exploiting the less fortunate by turning them into this season's must-have item is wrong somehow. Oh, who am I kidding? I want one. Katie Merriam, NPR Mageddon. I want one too, though I'm afraid it might cost me an arm and a leg. (laughs) I wish I was dead. NPR-mageddon is made possible with support from Torso Friends, the friend that will never leave you because we've removed their arms and legs. Torso Friends, because it feels so good to be needed so unconditionally. Let's rejoin cub reporter Amy Wolpa, who is covering the selection of the new Blood Pope. Amy, I understand there's a surge of activity on the ship. Yes, the doors to the mess hall are coming open. I'm headed in along with a bunch of these weirdos. No pushing, no pushing. Whoa, this place is cool. 
Okay, can you describe what you're seeing? Honestly, no, Brian. There are things you can describe and things you can't. This one checks the second box for me. Definitely cool, though. Can you at least tell us if you can see the new Blood Pope? Not really. There's this statuesque, extremely handsome lady at the podium who's wearing a very intricate, very bloody smock. Maybe she's the lady who will introduce the Blood Pope. Could she be the new Blood... Oh, oh, she must be the new Blood Pope. Duh, I'm a victim of my own gender bias. Shh, she's going to talk now. Ah, for the honor of the Blood God, I am the Blood Pope. Together we shall strive to free Los Angeles from the infidels. Bow before me, Pope Hilder. Everybody is down on their knees. Excellent. Now rise and join with me to complete my coronation with the holiest of sacraments. It is time. For the blood rush, bring up the atheists. Bring them on down. Don't be shy. Okay, this is getting very weird. Amy, what are you seeing? They're bringing up a group of, like, five naked dudes. It's a total sausage fest. Oh, my word. It's a blood sausage fest. These deliciously firm young atheists have been chosen to give their blood to the cause. Bring forth the knives. Amy, what the hell is happening? There are times when words do a thing justice. This is not one of those times. <laughs> okay, I'm getting the hell out of here. Amy Wolpa and Pierre McGinn. No, no, no. You gotta give me a metaphor, a simile, anything. Okay, okay. Uh, you know how you can turn your shirt inside out? Uh-huh. I mean, like, where all the seams and the tags and the fuzzies and all the nasty intestines inside the shirt just flop out there into the open? Yeah. Yeah, that's what's happening with the naked dude's skin. Move along! Amy will put me again. There you have it, folks. The coronation of Blood Pope Hilder, who is kind of scary, but honestly kind of fun. And the music really got my blood pumping. If you travel far enough south of the Los Angeles border, you will eventually run into vampire country. But how far south? The border has always been nebulous. So we sent NPR Mageddon's Christopher Ellis to investigate. And he's on the line now. Chris, thank you for joining us. Hello, Brian. Such a pleasure to hear your voice, my friend. I've been dying to tell you how wonderful it is down here. You sound a little strange, Chris. Is everything okay? I've never been deader. I mean, better. I want to lay to rest, eternal rest, the rumors that vampires are everywhere south of the border. I arrived here in the dead of night and I haven't seen any signs of them. Really? Absolutely! In fact, I would encourage all of our listeners to head south and see for themselves. It's bloody gorgeous down here. Thanks so much for sending me on this assignment. And where are you calling from? I'm in a nice dark crypt right now, and I got to tell you, if I were a vampire, this is exactly the place that I would want to be. 
I see. So you haven't run into any problems whatsoever? Well, I did wake up this morning with a terrible pain in my neck, and uh, I did receive quite a nasty sunburn, but other than that, everything's fine. I'm sorry, did you just say every fang's fine? So sorry. I seem to have chipped a couple of my teeth into points somehow, and I sometimes slur my speech. Chris, have you ever stopped to consider that you yourself may have been turned into a vampire? Me? A vampire? Brian, don't be silly. I would have noticed when I looked into the mirror this morning. I didn't see anything wrong. In fact, I didn't see my reflection at all. And you don't find that just a little off-putting? Listen, I am not a mirror expert. All I know is that I love to drink blood, crucifixes annoy me, and I'm not a vampire. Chris, you have pointy teeth, sunlight hurts you, you, you crave blood, you're a vampire, man. You know, I think you might be on to something, Brian. I do feel the intense thirst. I feel the ancient supernatural call of the unbelieving. I think I might have diabetes. I'm going to have to get it checked out when I get back. Christopher, you're never coming back. Well, we were joined by phone with Christopher Ellis, who has apparently been turned into a blood-sucking vampire, proving beyond the shadow of a doubt that the only thing worse than the unquenchable thirst for blood is the annoying accent. Ultraviolet rays from the sun cause skin cancer, and the best way to combat skin cancer is air pollution. Thanks to our poor air quality, all direct sunlight in Los Angeles is blocked by smog. But smog doesn't make itself. So do your part in the fight against skin cancer by burning things. Remember, you have two lungs, but only one skin. That's not just math, it's science. Thank you. Home ownership in Los Angeles has always come at a premium. And navigating the real estate market can be quite daunting. On her own home search, NPR Mageddon's Amy Dallin has found a realtor whose unconventional methods can turn dream homes into reality homes. A couple of months ago, I was in the market for a new place for me and my ear mouse to live. So I went to see a real estate agent, Chet Peterson. Hi there. Chet runs a small specialty realty business with the express mission of connecting people with the homes of their dreams. We have many satisfied clients who depend on us time and time again. And he boasts an impressive record of success. Let's just say I refuse to take no for an answer. Chet sports a winning smile and a can-do attitude that put me right at ease. Full disclosure, normally I wouldn't be able to afford Chet's unique services, but he was willing to work pro bono for the purposes of this story. So... What are you looking for in a house? Let's see. One bedroom, uh, lots of natural light, tarp roof, something in corrugated aluminum, maybe? I think we can do way better than that. Really? I know just the place. Chet took me to a quaint little neighborhood full of young families, and there wasn't a sinkhole in sight. What do you think of this place? Now, 
It's a pre-calamity rebuild with only mild structural damage. It's five bedrooms, but I'm sure you'll figure out something to do with all of that extra space. It's really nice, Chet, but I couldn't possibly afford it. Is it even for sale? Leave that to me. We walked up to the front door. An actual hinged door, not a sheet. And that's when Chet proceeded to show me what his unique realty method is all about. Get out! Get out! No, no, get out! This is her house now! It's a process called owner exchange. I will murder you! Chet took the liberty of escorting the existing tenant family from my home. My move-in was an immediate and painless process. Well, painless for me. No, stop your crying! Get the fuck! Get out! Get out of here! The previous tenant hit the road. She bounced off it a bit and then stopped moving. If you leave the body out front for a few days, no one will mess with you. And I was left with my blood-stained dream home. It was my pleasure. The squatter children eventually abandoned their mother's corpse. And I'm proud to say that with a little TLC and some flowering buds, I have the beginnings of a bone garden. Amy Dallin, NPR Armageddon. Now we move on to the world of science in our There's Always Room for Science segment... Science rules! Sponsored by Beatco Sticks and Stones. Sticks and stones may break your bones, but Beatco Sticks and Stones are the only sticks and stones that are fortified with what? A deadly poison. Even minor scrapes and scratches are fatal when you use Beatco Sticks and Stones. We're joined in studio by our resident smarty pants, science correspondent Laurel Vale. What have you got for us today, Laurel? Well, Brian, the super scientists have done it again. In their tireless dedication to making the world a better place, their latest invention bridges the divide between people who prefer cats and people who prefer dogs. Do you have a preference, Brian? Put enough ketchup on it and I'll eat anything. Not to eat, for companionship. Oh, I've never really been one for pets, personally. I am awfully attached to my Winchester Model 70, but I don't suppose guns count. You're kind of shitting all over my segment here. Oh, sorry about that. Uh, What have these super scientists done to ease the tension between cat lovers and dog lovers? They've developed a way to combine two or more animals into one, using a new kind of device called the Chimera-matic. They've lent me the portable model, so I can demonstrate how it works by combining my cat whiskers with your producer's cute little pug, Mr. Dopey. (laughs) Oh, well, they're both very cute little critters. How does it work? The chimeramatic consists of three separate chambers. You just put whiskers in one chamber. And Mr. Dopey into the other one on the right. Then you just turn the dial and wait until the unit dings. Now all you have to do is open the middle chamber to meet your new and improved best friend. Would you like to do the honors? All right. Oh, my blood god! What happened? It looks wrong! So very wrong! There must have been a mosquito in one of the chambers. I don't think it likes me! Shut the door! I'm not going near that thing! 
Listeners, it seems as though the, the Chimera Matic has, has spliced together a cat, a, a pug dog, and a mosquito. It is now walking on the ceiling of the studio. It's looking very intently at me. Bad thing! Bad thing! You get down here right now! The creature has it has attached itself to my leg. Bad thing! Is it? Bad. Oh, oh, oh. Bad. It is! It's humping my leg! Oh, the creature, obviously hungry from lovemaking, has now punctured my femoral artery with its mosquito-like mouth parts. The pain is excruciating. Stay calm. I know what to do. I'll be right back. No, don't go. I've I've been abandoned by science correspondent Laurel Vale. What have I done to deserve this? I can literally feel the lifeblood being sucked, sucked right out of me. I'm back. Oh, good. I didn't want to die alone. Hang in there, Brian. What do you have in your hand? It's a laser pointer. If this creature has any of my cat whiskers in him, he'll go bonkers for this thing. It worked. The creature has removed itself from my leg and is now buzzing all over the room, chasing the red dot. Oh, he can do this for hours. Just just keep him in that corner over there. Maybe we can get a net or something. No need. Put the rifle away. my cat, sort of. I'm sorry, Laurel, but it had to be done. In spite of your valiant efforts to tame that beast, one truth remains about guns. Bolt actions speak louder than words. Science is so terrible. It sure is, Laurel. It sure is. And now a special message from the Blood Pope. Los Angeles, heed my call. You know, sometimes life can be difficult and you feel like something is holding you back. What you need is power over others. If you want to acquire this power and see your enemies cower before you, then submit to the Blood God. He has an extraordinary plan for your life. Pick up a copy of the Blood Bible today and help us take over the world! Okay, where were we? Traffic report. Okay, okay, pull it together. And now with our Betatech First Alert traffic update, here's John. If the traffic is smooth or if it's slow, here's the person who's sure to know do I. Are there a lot of cars out there today? Yes. The problem isn't too many cars, though, Brian, but individual drivers acting in their own self-interest rather than participating in the ethics of the larger traffic community. Well, we're not solving that anytime soon. If everybody were to drive at the posted speed limit, signal properly and change lanes only when necessary, traffic would be minimal. 
Instead, people drive selfishly, hurting themselves and the traffic community at large. Unfortunately, that's just human nature. What you gonna do? Well, I say that we employ a kind of traffic judo, where instead of promoting traffic safety, we lean into traffic selfishness with the explicit goal of increasing traffic fatalities. Why? To thin the herd and thus reduce the traffic. Shouldn't we just encourage people to drive better? No. That's not human nature, Brian. Thanks, John. Breaking news. Terrorist Hart Fisher has launched an all-out assault on the Capitol, and in doing so, stabs at the very brains of our civilization. His partner in war crime is a sentient orbiting satellite with a space-based death laser and an appetite for destruction. This satellite, named Amos, who is a dear friend of the program, is obliterating personnel and buildings key to the administration. The president has expressed the desire to address the nation, and he joins us now. Mr. President. Damn it! Help me! Help me! Mr. President, are you in danger? What do you think, dummy? I need some damn help before this laser beam fries my nuts off! So you wish to inspire the citizens to action? Inspire my ass! I'm begging! I'm down to begging! Save me! I don't want to die! I don't want to die! Okay, calm down, Mr. President. You calm down! Laser beams have been coming down from the sky every five minutes! My bitches got evaporated! My secret police are sitting in the corner with their faces melted off! They're freaking me out! I can't even fight this shit! Can't cover it, can't shoot it, can't strangle it! I can't do nothing! Surely you have something to- Man, I gotta pop the piss in! You can't fight a laser! We were supposed to fight man to man! You remember? Two men enter, one man leave! That's politics! But there ain't no two men here! There's one man! One man who just pissed himself! I. Oh, oh, hell no! Hell no! I ain't dying for this stupid city. That's it. I quit. I resigned the presidency. In fact, right now, I'm getting out of here. Going into hiding. Peace out. Peace out. Ladies and gentlemen, we have a stunning turn of events here. A plea for assistance has turned into an outright resignation on the part of President Skogor, a man who, frankly, kind of went out like a little bitch. What will this mean for Los Angeles? Will Hart Fisher assume the throne? Will Amos the Satellite continue to destroy things? And what role, if any, will the new Blood Pope play? We've run out of time and have to leave it on a pretty giant cliffhanger here. Wow, this is awesome. I'm Brian Garcia McMillan Keithley, reminding you that to live is to suffer, to survive is to find some meaning in the suffering. Good day, and stay safe. NPR Mageddon is written and produced by Brian Keithley and Peter Podgurski. The series was mixed by, you know her, you love her, Amy Reed. The theme of NPR Mageddon is by Society Burning. Doesn't it bop? There's no better way to prove your love of NPR Mageddon than through conspicuous consumption. Visit nprmageddon.etsy.com and get your merch on. Our email is info at nprmageddon.com, and our phone number is 213-437-9506. Contact us and give us your words of wisdom, like Bill did. 
Hi, this is Bill from Cincinnati, and it's nice to know that after years of screaming into the void, the void was listening. Thank you. Follow us on Twitter at NPArmageddon. It's so much fun there. You're missing out. Are you sure you're okay with missing out? Here's the full cast list of Episode 7, probably the meanest episode. Jello Biafra, Amy Landon, Brian Keithley, Amy Walpa, Christopher R. Ellis, Natalie Wachen, Tayzon Day, Erica Ishii, Melanie Troxler, Neil Brown, Andrew Bowser, Spooky Dan Walker, B.J. Schwartz, Katie Miriam, Jesse Millward, Jeffrey Peterson, Gershon Moreno, Barbara Goodson, Amy Dallin, Jeff Bosley, Laurel Vale, John Delancey, and Lejean. Shout out to Robin Farzad of Full Disclosure Radio for having us on as guests alongside the incomparable Naima Raza. We had a great time. Follow Full Disclosure on Twitter at FullDRadio for all the ways to listen. And a special thanks to Claire Morgan of Notterly for making us sound so damn good. And congratulations to NPR Mageddon's own Barbara Goodson on the 30th anniversary of the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. Isn't she awesome as the voice of Rita Repulsa? Catch the upcoming Mighty Morphin Power Rangers once and always special on Netflix. We called this probably the meanest episode, and it might have earned that title. You tell us. But you know what's not mean? Our community. You're the best. Our gratitude is as boundless as your kindness is endless. And so, thanks for listening! Next time on NP Armageddon. Oh, how the mighty have fallen. The statues of President Skogor are coming down. We've got ropes, chains, pickups, explosives, and a bunch of pissed off people ready to clean house. Betatech Incorporated returns to tell us about exciting new 3D printing technology. The secrets in the sauce. <laughs> And one man might hold the lost key to human flight. By using ordinary bicycle parts and methamphetamine, I will take flight under my own power. Plus looting etiquette and traffic. You have no idea how many people show up to a looting unprepared. Featuring the voice talents of Fred Willard, John Delancey, Barbara Goodson, Zach Villa, Heath Corson, B.J. Schwartz, Hart D. Fisher, and many others. All this and more in NPR Armageddon, Episode 8, Fall of Skullgore.